Heavenly Father, what a privilege. A privilege that we take for granted to do something that we've been doing, many of us, our whole lives. Just to be able to talk to you and you listen. What a ridiculous thing that you are so grand and great and you would listen to people like us. And yet you call us blessed, you call us precious in your sight. Lord, you tell us to come and pray to you. And so, Father, thank you for this privilege. Lord, would you continue to make us a people of prayer? God, within our worship services, in our private lives, God, in our prayer room, on our prayer team, in all of our community groups, in our families and homes, Lord, would you continue to make us a people of prayer? Lord, we want to respond to you and to what you're doing. And that begins, Lord, as we open up our hearts in prayer to you. And so thank you for this privilege. Would you continue to bless us, not only in these next few minutes as we worship, but Lord, in all of our lives, and we will continue to keep our hearts open to you. We love you. It's your name we pray. And we all said, amen. Amen. Hey, grab your Bibles if you will. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to be in just a minute. Starting in verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12 Verse 18 is where we're going to be as we continue our sermon series called Reaction. Uh, we're learning about worship. In the very first week, we learned that our worship is a response. When you and I worship, it's not just about finding the kind of songs you like or finding the kind of rhythm you like. No, we are responding to who God is and what he has done. And there's all different kinds of, kinds of ways that we can respond to him. We've been learning uh, about those. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 12 is where we're going to look at that today. Hebrews is a New Testament book, by the way. I know it sounds vaguely Old Testament. It is not. It is New Testament, so don't get fooled by that. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18. Uh, after we learned that worship is a response, we started learning about different ways of responding. Uh, we came to the table a few weeks ago and realized that the Lord invites us to have a personal encounter with him. That we get to come to the table personally, which is an incredible act of worship in and of itself. Two weeks ago, we talked about gratitude, uh, where the Lord says, I want you to give thanks for what I have done in your life. Last week, we talked about praise and the fact that we are to give exuberant praise to the Lord. We are to lift up his name in praise. That is a part of our worship. This week, we're going to be looking at the response of reverence and awe. When it comes to our worship, it ought to contain an element, if not a core, of reverence and awe. And this is actually connected to what we talked about last week. Now, reverence is a hard topic to, to really talk about. Uh, it's hard for us to understand because there are very few things in our culture that we feel reverent towards. Uh, think about it. Uh, what, what are the things in our culture that we universally agree upon, that we would universally revere, we would universally lift up, and you'll find that there aren't many, if any, things left in our culture that we revere. Instead, uh, we have a different attitude in our hearts. Some of us, we just have the attitude of sarcasm. Now, uh, how many of you would say that you are a sarcastic person? Anybody? Raise your hand. If you just chuckled, that means it's you, all right? If you feel an elbow in your ribs right now, that's from your family, and they're trying to let you know it's you. Uh, but here's the thing. It's, it's kind of all of us, isn't it? We're a very sarcastic culture. This has gotten down into the core of who we are. We've kind of just taken on like a, like a full-grown uh, perspective of sarcasm. 
social media has really turned this up to 11 because if you want to survive on social media, you better be witty. You better be funny. You better have an ability to poke fun at everything that's out there. You've got to stay ahead of things. Furthermore, it's kind of become a national pastime to take pot shots at every single thing, whether it be governments, institutions, well, leaders, whoever it might be. We, we kind of say, I don't want to be naive. I don't want to be taken in. And so we take this attitude of sarcasm towards things. You might even say, Adam, my love language is sarcasm. Um, your wife or husband does not agree, all right? But, but you say, Adam, it's just the way I communicate. But here's the problem with that. Uh, when you and I kind of let sarcasm drive everything that we do, it is hiding a core of arrogance. At the core of most sarcasm is arrogance. Because when you and I are, are incessantly sarcastic, we find a, a need to be sarcastic about anything and everything. Think about the position we find ourselves in. Instead of saying, Adam, I want to be reverent or I want to be praise filled. We say, Adam, I don't want to be taken in. I don't want people to laugh at me. And so we kind of step out and say, no, I can make fun of that thing. When you can step aside and make fun of something, we are subtly saying that I am above it. I, I, I'm bigger than that. I'm not taken in by something like that. You must be lesser if you are taken in by something like that. And we just begin to be irreverent about everything. And we assume it's funny and we assume it's lighthearted, but it is hiding an arrogance that keeps us from being reverent. But if you and I are going to worship the Lord, one of the things that we desperately need is to be reverent. And so the question is for us, are we reverent when it comes to our worship? When you and I come into worship, are we reverent? Do we have reverence and awe for the Lord when we come in for worship? And some of us just might assume that's the case, but that may or may not be true. We're going to find that out today. Now, um, we said this last week, uh, that this week is really connected to last week. Last week, we talked about praise and we said that people exist kind of on a spectrum as far as our preference between kind of exuberant praise on the one side and more quiet, reflective reverence and awe on the other. And you can kind of see that in worship styles. You get more Pentecostal uh, kind of traditions over on this side and you get more liturgical stuff over on this side, whereas some is really kind of spontaneous and, and exuberant and others is quiet, reflective, more orderly in things. And you might just say, well, Adam, I'm one or the other. I just have this preference or I have that preference. And what we found out last week is that we don't get to pick one or the other. We need both. You got to have both. And so wherever you decide you kind of prefer, we actually need both. We need to praise, but we also need to have reverence in our worship. And that's what brings us to Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. Now, before I read the passage, I need to give you a little bit of context to understand what we're about to read. Uh, Hebrews is written to Jewish Christians. You might be able to pick that up from the title. Uh, but, but because it's written to Jewish Christians, there are a lot of references and allusions to the Old Testament. These are allusions that all of his Jewish readers would have instantly picked up on that might not be as easily picked up on by all of us. And so before I read this passage, I want to help you make sure you understand kind of what he's referencing here. Uh, in Israelite history, the Israelites were, were enslaved in Egypt, but God sets them free. That's the whole Red Sea, the 10 plagues. He brings them out of slavery and takes them into the wilderness. And the first place they go is to a place called Mount Sinai. 
And when they go to Mount Sinai, God calls Moses up to this mountain and this, God's presence descends and it is terrifying. This cloud descends on the mountain and there are rumblings of thunder and there's flashes of lightning and there's, there's fire and there's this booming voice from the Lord that emanates and the people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, I don't know if I can handle that. God said, hey, listen, this place is holy. Don't let anybody get near it. And they said, Moses, you can talk to God, but that's just, that's too much for us. But this is where God gives the Ten Commandments and he shows them how to live. And after this, he says, but listen, I'm going to live in your midst. And so I'm going to give you something special. I'm going to let my presence dwell among you in a temple. It, It starts in a moving tabernacle, but ultimately that will land in Jerusalem where they will build the temple. And he said, this is a copy of the heavenly temple. And there's all this Eden imagery kind of woven into the architecture and all the the tapestries. But inside of that temple, there was a special place. It was holy. And then there was the holy place. And then the most holy place. And in the most holy place rested the Ark of the Covenant. You ever saw Raiders of the Lost Ark? You might remember what that kind of looked like, right? But there's the Ark of the Covenant, and God's, it was a box, a golden box, but the, the presence of the Lord rested above the Ark, not in the Ark, but above the Ark. And it was in the Holy of Holies. And only the high priest could go in there to see it once a year. This is God's presence dwelling among his people. He's holy, but he's in the midst of his people. And, and in Jerusalem, they would call that Mount Zion, really. So you've got these two mountains that are being contrasted here. You've got Mount Sinai and you've got Mount Zion. So keep that in mind as we now read Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 18. The author says, for you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses trembled, said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Did you see the two mountains? Did you see the contrast? The author here, as he's rounding out the book of Hebrews, he says, hey, listen, when you come to the Lord, you're not coming back to Mount Sinai. You're not coming into an experience where God is so grand and so big. It's just terrifying. You can't get near him. It's too awe-inspiring so much so that you just cower in fear. He says, no, you need to come to Jerusalem. Not the physical one, but, but, but the heavenly Jerusalem. He says, don't you know who you are? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're in. And when you come to Jerusalem, it is a different kind of experience. Did you see what he's saying there? Instead of this terrifying voice and the the thunder, did you hear what he says? Look at verse 22. You've got the heavenly Jerusalem, innumerable angels in festal gathering, the assembly of the firstborn. You've got a party going on. The angels are going nuts. You've got all the perfected saints. You've got Jesus there in attendance. When you and I get to Zion, it is joy unparalleled. And he says, you get to come in. You're not on the outside. You're not on the outskirts. He says, no, you get to come right into the center of this party. 
In fact, just a couple chapters prior in Hebrews chapter 10, look what it says here. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, I believe it's starting in verse 19. He says, look, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence, that's us as Christians, to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This is shocking. He's telling these Jewish believers, you get to go into the Holy of Holies. You get to come right in. You get to come right into the midst of this. We are accepted. We are forgiven. We are invited. We have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you now get to join into this amazing celebration. And you might say, well, Adam, this is sounding like last week. This is sounding like praise part two, right? I mean, this is sounding just like more praise. Let's just do praise. Why don't we just say praise? Why are we talking about reverence and awe? Well, well, we have to keep reading. Look what he says in the next couple verses. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful and for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Interesting. He just goes through this whole process of showing us, hey, you're in. You got this party. You get to jump right in. There's joyous praise. But the challenge he gives us is that when we come into worship, we still need to worship him with praise and reverence and all. It's a both and, not either or. You don't pick one. And we certainly don't pit one against the other. You gotta have both. And we need to be careful to do this. This is what the Bible refers to when it talks about the fear of the Lord, by the way. Some of you might remember this. If you were here with us last summer, uh, we did a study of the book of Proverbs. You guys remember this? Uh, and when we looked at this wisdom, we, we learned something, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we took a whole week to really look at this phrase, the fear of the Lord. You might want to go back and listen to it again. And we said, this fear of the Lord is not a, a scared fear. It's not terrified. It's not abject fear when we talk about the fear of the Lord. Instead, it's this respect and awe that goes with the Lord because we love him, but you should never forget that you should always respect, and yes, in some sense, fear his power and his majesty and his glory. We ought to intuitively understand this. Uh, for most of us, we had a, a, at least a generally good experience with our fathers. Uh, and in fact, think back to when you were a little kid, uh, thinking back to your father. I remember being a little kid and whenever I got scared, I would run behind my dad and grab onto that tree trunk that was his leg, right? And you could hide behind your father. And my dad's not a huge guy. It didn't matter. I was two feet tall. 
And, any, and he's like 70, he's like 40 feet tall to me, right? He's a giant. And you go and you run behind him and, and, and dad's great. You can climb on dad. My daughter likes to climb on me, right? You can, you, 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 your dad loves you. You want to run up to your dad. You know, he cares for you. But every now and then you might've had this experience where your, your father raised his voice, where everything's fine and good. And he'll, hey, ooh, ooh, ooh. eyes widen a little bit. And all of a sudden you stop and you realize Dad loves you. Dad cares for you. You can climb all over Dad. Dad will give you a lot of grace. But there's a limit. And you need to not forget that Dad is powerful. Okay, that's the fear of the Lord. It's not an either or. He doesn't want you to run in fear from Him. He wants you to love Him. He wants you to understand how much He cares for you. But at the very same level, you need to remember His power. And you can do both of those at the same time. That is the fear of the Lord. Do we understand that? And specifically, when we come into worship, do we come in with jubilant praise, but do we also come in with reverence? And you might say, well, Adam, of course I do. Uh, of course I'm reverent to the Lord. Of course I care about him. And while we, we might feel that to be true, or even think that to be true, we need to ask the question, are we bringing true reverence and awe when it comes to the Lord? To really help us think through this, I want to point you to a, a very interesting story that happened back in the Old Testament. Uh, it's a story you may have heard or maybe not. It happens in 1 Samuel chapters 4 through 6. And I won't read all the chapters for you today, but here's the story. Uh, no, not yet. Um, uh, I'll get there. Um, so here's the story. In, in the time of Judges, the people of Israel were terrible. Uh, they did whatever they wanted. They called themselves the people of the Lord, but whatever was right in their own eyes, that's what they did. Which means they were constantly destroyed by their enemies and God would save them because they would cry out and then they would get evil and then they would get destroyed again uh, and so one day they go out and they fight their arch enemies the Philistines and they just get blistered they get completely defeated and so they have a great idea they said wait a minute what if we went and got the ark of God and brought that to the battle what if we literally brought God into our midst and took him with us into battle we can't lose let's go get God and force him to be a weapon, what could go wrong? This sounds like a great idea. So they go get the Ark of the Covenant out of the Holy of Holies, and they bring it to the battlefield. Again, all the elders are in on this. They all agreed. They said, great idea. And when the Ark comes into the camp, the people go nuts. They throw a party like there has never been. They're all cheering. It's not just the elders. The whole church is in on this. The whole nation is in. They're like, yes, what a great idea. This is awesome. And man, when they raise up this shout, the Philistines who are nearby, they hear this and they are quaking in their boots. They got spies over there and said, hey, uh, a God just came into their camp. We got problems. Because it's not just any God. It's that same God that waylaid the Egyptians. It's that same God who had plagues on everybody. That God just came into their camp. And they said, boys, put your chin straps on. This is going to be tough tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to win tomorrow, but we're going to go fight those Israelites. And the Israelites, with all this confidence, take the ark of God into battle. And when they fight the Philistines, the Philistines obliterate them. They completely decimate the Israelites. And at the end of the battle, the ark is captured. Do you know this story? The ark of God is captured by their arch enemies and carried off into captivity. The people are destroyed. They don't know why. Why didn't it work that when we tried to use God as a weapon, it didn't work? 
And meanwhile, the ark of God is over here in captivity. The Philistines are overjoyed. They take the ark and they put it in the temple of their God. His name is Dagon. And they throw a party of their own. They said, our God's bigger than your God. And they take the puny little golden box and they put it in the temple in front of their big stone Dagon. And they say, see, we got you. Look at you. This is great. Throw a party. They go to bed. When they wake up the next morning, Dagon has fallen down in front of the ark. They go, oh no. And they said, we better pick up our God and put him back in his place. That should be a, a clue to you if you have to pick up your God and put him back in his place. <laughs> that might be a clue to you that you may have the wrong God. Um, they go, don't tell anybody. The next night, they come back in. Something different has happened. Not only is Dagon back down in front of him, but his head and his hands have been cut off. And they're at the threshold of the temple like he was trying to get away and God killed him anyway. And then the plague starts. Tumors start breaking out on everybody. Mice begin to overrun the town. Same kind of plagues that were happening in Egypt now begin to happen to the Philistines. They said, take this thing away. They send it to another town. Same thing happens there. They send it to another town. Same thing happens there. The next town said, don't you bring that thing here. This goes on for seven months till they finally say, we have to send this thing back. We cannot handle this God. Send it back. They put the ark on a cart with two cows and let it go. And it supernaturally makes a beeline right back to Israel. These two cows just take the ark straight back to Israel. They, the Philistines follow it just to see what's going to happen. Straight back to Israel. And that's where we pick up the story. So look what happens. This is First uh, Samuel chapter 6. It says, Now the people of Beth Shemesh were reaping their wheat harvest in the valley. And when they lifted up their eyes and they saw the ark, they rejoiced to see it. The cart came into the field of Joshua of Beth Shemesh and stopped there. A great stone was there and they split up the wood of the cart and they offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. And the Levites took down the ark of the Lord and the box that was beside it in which were the uh, golden figures and they set them upon the great stone. And the men of Beth Shemesh offered burnt offerings and sacrificed sacrifices on that day to the Lord. And when the five lords of the Philistines saw it, they returned that day to Ekron. So when the Israelites see the ark, they are elated that the ark is being returned to them. And so they take it and they actually sacrifice the cows. They, they break up the cart and they use that as they would. It looks like they are back on track. They're gonna worship the Lord. They're gonna make sacrifices to the Lord. It looks like everything is awesome, but it's not. Because remember, the thing that got them into trouble was this. They didn't have any reverence or awe. They wanted to use our God like a weapon. And God's not a weapon. And you don't get to wield him wherever you want. And when they come back, they still don't have any reverence. You see, when you and I don't have reverence, there's two things that typically show up. The first one is this. It's a lack of intentionality. It's a lack of intentionality. Here's the problem that's hard to see in this passage. Um, Beth Shemesh, that, that name doesn't mean anything to us. Beth Shemesh was a Levitical town. In Israel, everybody got land except the Levites. The Levites got the Lord. And it was their job to teach the people about the Lord. But they got certain towns. Beth Shemesh is a Levitical town, which means this. It's filled with priests. The whole town is full of priests. If anybody knows how to do sacrifices, it's the people in Beth Shemesh. But there's a problem. Because when you look down at verse 14, notice what it says. Actually, um, if, can we put that back up there? Look back at verse 14 and notice uh, one more back. Uh, and look what it says. 
It says uh, a great stone that they split up the wood of the cart and offered the cows as a burnt offering to the Lord. Here's the problem. The Lord gave specific instructions about sacrifices. You never use cows for burnt offerings. You only use bulls. But they didn't care because they're still cutting corners. Because they're still making do. Ah, these are here. Let's use these. Ah, this is right here. Let's just do that. It doesn't really matter if we get it right. It doesn't matter if we really do all that God says. Let's just use whatever it's hand. Surely that'll be good enough for the great God of the universe. And they just decide to throw a party because that's how they feel in the moment. It's a lack of intentionality with people who ought to know better. The Israelites, by the way, are doing this terribly. They do everything wrong. But they're Philistines. They don't know any better. God doesn't bring his full judgment on them but he will on his people. Why? Because they're continuing to show a lack of reverence and awe. And the question is, when you and I come to worship, do we come to give him our best? Do we come to give him everything? Or do we just give him what's convenient? Because if we only give him what's convenient, that's a lack of reverence and awe. Buckle up. I'm about to make a couple of you uncomfortable. Uh, Here's the thing. Um, I realize and I recognize, we said this a couple weeks ago, uh, there are going to be times when we get, we, we come late to worship. It happens, right? Because you had a flat tire, you hit a deer. It happens right here, right? You know, you, something happened with your kids, you're sick. There are reasons to be late. But some of us, we, we find ourselves consistently late to worship. Consistently. Or we don't even make it at all. You may be worshiping at home today. He's like, ah, I just can't make it. I can't get here today. And the question is, what does that say about our reverence? And awe, because here's what else I have noticed. You wouldn't dare get your kid to practice late, but you'll be late here. Because apparently coach needs to make sure he gets his playing time in, but Jesus doesn't. We wouldn't dare show up late, three days late for work in a week. But I might only get to worship one week in a month. Ah, if I can make it, if I can get there. It reveals something about our souls. But I still come to worship. Yes, and they had a worship service that God was not happy with because it shows a lack of intentionality. Same thing with a lack of quiet time. Guys, if we can't find time to spend with the Lord, there's different ways to do in a quiet time. We don't have to get legalistic about it. But if we cannot find time to spend with the Lord, right now we're doing a a year-long plan of reading the Bible. We're asking you to read five chapters a week. And let's get honest, some of us are already way behind. Five chapters. You're not behind on your ESPN reading. We're not behind on our work reading. We're we're not behind on our, our, our other reading or our Netflix. And we can't read free five chapters a week? Ah, if I get to it. Do you see what this reveals about our hearts? Is there reverence for him? Or do we just give him what's convenient? It reveals how we feel about him. It shows that we don't see him in his glory or for who he is if we only are willing to give him what's convenient, but I'm not willing to give him the fullness of my heart. And so when it comes to our worship, Yes, we come, but are are we coming with intentionality? Are are we coming saying, I give everything to the Lord or not? Here's the second thing. Um, There's a lack of lasting change. There's a lack of lasting change. Uh, This worship service doesn't end well. Um, Here's the end of the passage. Here's Here's the invitation at the end of their worship service in 1 Samuel. Look what happens here. This is the very next verses. We didn't skip any. And he struck some of the men of Beth Shemesh because they looked upon the ark of the Lord. 
And he struck 70 men of them. And the people mourned because the Lord had struck the people with a great blow. And the men of Beth Shemesh said, Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? And to whom shall he go up away from us? That's so sad. So they sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath-Jerim, saying, The Philistines have returned the ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. God's presence in their midst. And they just say, I don't, I don't know if we can handle it. Just like the Philistines. I don't know if we can handle it. I don't know if I want to be in the presence of the Lord. It's not just a lack of intentionality. There's a lack of lasting change. See, here's the interesting thing about this passage. So they, they have this worship service and they're praising the Lord. Remember, they sacrificed sacrifices. They didn't just go off in revelry. They made sacrifices to the Lord. But at the end of the service, here's what they did. Uh, it said that some of them looked upon the ark, verse 19. The ESV actually translates it differently and there's a little bit of debate about this. In the ESV, it says that he looked in the ark. They didn't just look on it. They looked in the ark. Okay, that's a no-no. Remember, the ark is supposed to be in the holy of holies where only the high priest sees it. And then here's where it gets more interesting. Uh, Beth Shemesh is not just a Levitical city. Within the Levites, there was a particular clan called the Kohathites. And the Kohathites had a specific job in their clan. And their specific job was to take care of the ark. When the tabernacle moved, it was the Kohathites who were there to make sure it was shielded, that people couldn't see it, that it was transported correctly. And so you could move it where it needed to be, but you continued to give reverence to the Lord. If anybody knows how to treat the ark, it's the people in this town. And those same people said, man, this is like a once in a lifetime thing. You want to see what's in there? You want to see what's in that thing? Hey, let's go look at it. Come on, this is crazy. This is clearly like a a weird situation. Hey, you you want to see what's in there? And their curiosity was literally stronger than their reverence. Their curiosity was stronger to them than their reverence. So God killed 70 of them. That was the invitation. God killed 70 people. Not a fun worship service, right? Where God says, this is not how you treat me. And they asked the question they should have asked in the beginning. Who is able to stand before the Lord, this holy God? If only they had asked that at first. If only they had said that at first. Well, then then this wouldn't have happened. They would have honored the Lord appropriately. And these are people who should know better. Again, the Philistines don't get this kind of treatment because they don't even know any better. But the Israelites should. These people should. They say they know better. And yet they treat the Lord without reverence and awe. When you don't see lasting change, when you can have a great worship service, but it doesn't actually change you afterwards, that ought to be the warning sign. If we can have an incredible worship service and we praise the Lord and say, man, that was awesome, I love that, and we go right back to living exactly the way we were, that's a warning sign. And so we got to ask ourselves, when, when you and I come in here, man, it, worship has been so great these past few weeks, has it not? I mean, y'all been telling me, y'all missed last week? Dude, you missed it. It was incredible. It was awesome. I'm so glad I got to do it twice. I was happy. It was the only week I really wanted a third service, right? Because it was that good. But listen, if that doesn't change us when we leave, there's a problem. Look, I see this sometimes. I always did this with students, but it happens with adults too, sadly. Um, Social media is a terrible thing. Um, It's helpful, I don't know, kind of, but usually terrible. 
Um, I am not all so on social media all that much anymore. I had to stop because I want to continue to love you. Um, <laughs> and it is hard sometimes um, to see you uh, and then to see some of the things that you post. Uh, and I'm not talking about anybody in particular. I have 13 years of things to pull from. Um, I, I did this with students before because I, I look, it really, it's always frustrating when you see people in their profile, like, I love Jesus and my church is so great and look at what the Lord has done. And then you begin referencing things and talking about things and there's profanity and there's sexual innuendo and there's all kinds of gossip and there's all kinds of evil and there's all kinds of vitriol right next to this praise of the Lord. Can I just go ahead and tell you, you're hurting the team. I would prefer you just not mention Jesus if that's what you're gonna do. Just, just, can you just leave Jesus out of it? Because that's worse. But if I am a Christ follower, then how can I keep doing these things? Well, this goes into our communications. Imagine if I had the power to look at your last 40 texts, period, no filter, your last 40 texts. If you're nervous right now, you have an issue. Can he do that? Maybe I can. <laughs> I got Matt to do weird things for me back in the back. He figured it out for me. If you're freaking out, or if you would freak out if your wife or your husband saw your last 40 texts, unfiltered, you got an issue, what are we doing? That is a lack of reverence and all. When we say, I worship the Lord, I can do this, and then I feel zero compunction about my mouth, my, my communications, the things I say, the kind of things I praise, the kind of things I'm involved in, the kind of things I say are funny. How, what are we doing? Okay, that's, that's a lack of reverence and awe. If we're going to come to the Lord and, and say, I can't, I'm not going to change. And so look, when we, when we come to the Lord, we can't just come in and give him lip service. I mean, we've got to bring everything that we are. And if we see him in his holiness, that'll lead to change in our hearts. And honestly, it's going to lead to joy too. Why would we avoid that? The Israelites were in a miserable state. Why did they keep staying there? So go back now to where we started in Hebrews chapter 12. Look at verses 28 and 29. These are the verses that ought to be underlined in your scriptures. Look what it says. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. That's what we got to think about. That's what we got to reference. And remember, he's not trying to push you away. He's trying to draw you close. But we need to remember a few things. First off, we need to remember to be thankful. We need to remember to be thankful. We talked about gratitude a couple weeks ago. It, it is hard to be sarcastic when we take an attitude of, of gratitude when we're in a, a position of dependence of saying, God, thank you. God, thank you for what you've given me. I feel so blessed for what you've given me. It's hard then to stand in judgment on everything else. When instead, I just take an attitude of receptivity of saying, God, thank you for what you've given me. I feel so blessed and so overjoyed at what you've given me. Okay, that keeps us from the arrogance of sarcasm that that kind of turns our hearts away. And what are we thankful for? We have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Remember, you're in. If you're a believer, you're in. He's not trying to kick you out. You're in. He's wanting you to be right here. And this kingdom will not change. The kingdom of our health is going to be shaken. You know that, right? Sooner or later, the kingdom of our health is going to get shaken. It's going to be a diagnosis, or it's going to be old age, or it's going to be death that will come knocking. Sooner or later, the kingdom of our health gets shaken. Or it's the kingdom of our money. The kingdom of our money gets shaken. 
job loss, economic yeah. downturn, stock market change. Your money can get shaken in a heartbeat. The kingdom of our, our reputation, kingdom of our abilities, all of these are going to get shaken. Our possessions, all of these get shaken. But when God comes through and burns everything, there's one thing that's last, and his kingdom, his kingdom lasts forever. And it's yours. He's invited you in. You're not on the outside scrambling again. By the blood of Jesus, you are in. We ought to be thankful. Secondly, we ought to be aware. Notice what he says there. Our God is a consuming fire. Let's not presume upon the grace of the Lord. Let's not presume that we can somehow game the system, that we somehow tricked him or used grace against him to allow us to be able to sin and and have no repercussions and no consequences. God is not mocked. A man will reap what he sows. And we need to remember that our God is not only loving and caring and compassionate and gracious to thousands of generations, he is still also the sovereign, reigning, omnipotent God of the universe who cannot be overcome who has conquered all and will conquer all. And when he returns again, he does not come as the carpenter of Nazareth. He comes as the rider on the white horse. He says, I come to conquer all. Do not forget our God is a consuming fire, which leads to the third thing. We need to be reverent. We need to be reverent, not scared, reverent. Say, God, you are good. You are strong. You are powerful. You are enough. God, I give you praise. I get overjoyed in your presence, but I give reverence to who you are. Which leads us, yes, sometimes to be silent, sometimes to get on our knees in front of the Lord. That is a good thing to do, to let our body reflect what our spirit is doing. That is a good thing to do every now and then. To say, God, I want to, I want to have a posture of worship that gets on my knees. We, we have two little kneeling benches, one on either side here. And a few of you guys have been using that. We try to make it a little bit easier on your knees, especially for those who are a little older, and that might be difficult. If you can't do that, man, do that at your house where it's a little easier. But, but it is a good thing to get on my knees in front of the Lord. It is a reminder of our posture before him. Many of you remember uh, our dear brother, Mark Phillips, Mark has been a part of our church for years and years, and he went home to be with the Lord uh, during COVID. Uh, if you know Mark's story, Mark used to be uh, a, a uh, rock and roll guy. Started a band, he was on MTV, did the whole thing. A lot of people around town, but people of a certain age, new hotel and his whole band and all that he did. He lived that whole rock and roll lifestyle and almost destroyed his entire life until he was radically saved. And the Lord transformed his heart. Um, For the last decades of his life, he did not spend it uh, trying to be a rock and roll guy. He spent it on our second floor leading our kids in worship. That's where he spent the last 10 years of his life, was leading kids in worship. Not trying to be a rock and roll star. He wanted to lead our kids in worship. After he had gotten saved, though, he um, he, uh, had throat cancer. That's a rough thing for a singer. And I remember walking through him, with him through that experience and going with him to a few of his treatments. And he just walked out of that after the Lord healed him of his cancer. He told me this one day, he says, Adam, as long as I am physically able, there will not be a day that goes by in my life that I do not get on my face before the Lord. And this became his consistent practice that sometime during the day, every single day, He just got on his face before the Lord. He would literally lay down on the floor in his bedroom 
and worship the Lord because he was so grateful for who God is and what he's done. Now look, he's still the jubilant guy. He would lead all those kids in crazy worship. He had fun. He also had reverence for the Lord. You can do both. We need our praise, but we also need to be reverent. And if you feel conviction in your heart, that is not the Lord pushing you away. That is the Lord convicting you that he might draw you in. That you might actually be able to come and worship him with reverence and praise. And so let's open up our eyes to see more of who he is. Let's see him in his grandeur and let's give him praise, but let us do so with reverence and awe. And so bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. Worship team is going to come and lead us. And look, we have an opportunity just to reflect here. So I would get comfortable. But also, bowing your heads and closing your eyes is a way of just blocking out some of the distractions that might be around you. So that maybe we can examine our hearts. And none of us here is perfect. Listen, we all wrestle with this. And again, the Lord brings conviction, not to condemn us. He, he brings it to cleanse us. And so what if today we, we just said, God, show me who you really are. That I might give you true worship. God, I don't want to give you half worship. I don't want to give you convenient worship. I want to worship you in spirit and in truth. I want to give you everything. And so Lord, reveal who you are to us. Speak to us. Convict us where we need to be. But Lord, we want to give you true praise and worship with reverence and awe. We want to join together with that angelic throng. God, we want to experience you in a fuller way. But Lord, we in no way want to take that for granted. We're to miss out on what you're truly offering to us. And so Father, may we, in like the people of Beth Shemesh, may we be people today who come to you honestly, not perfect, but honestly asking you to cleanse us and to help us. But Lord, we want to enter in to that holy place, welcomed in by you, given access by the blood of your son, Jesus. Lord, we choose in this moment to give you full praise, joy, exuberance with reverence and awe. So Father, as we stand, as we sit, as we kneel, as we pray, as we sing loud, as we quietly listen, Lord, however we might respond, would you receive it from honest hearts? as we say thank you for who you are and what you have done. Lord, receive our worship.